Uh, now we are going to restart and go through our, uh, and just listen to what God wants to say to us about Christmas this year and, uh, and a perspective on Christmas that I pray is going to be helpful for us. Um, I am so, oh my gosh, I am so excited about Christmas this year. And it's very weird because I'm not normally super excited about Christmas. Is there anybody like me that's not normally super excited about Christmas? You're like, it's just something we do. Yeah, yeah, there's some of you. Um, I'm, I'm not normally super excited about Christmas. I'm not quite a Grinch, not quite, but I'm generally like, eh, it happens. And, and this year, I've really been able to just embrace the idea of Christmas and, and the idea of, of this is what God is doing and really excited about it. So I hope that, uh, that we're able to uh, celebrate and, and uh, be joyful together. Um, usually I do uh, text messages on a Sunday, and uh, we're not going to be doing text messages for the rest of this series, and so we won't have text messages. I, uh, that's just not something that we're going to do in this series. It's not quite the way it fits, uh, but we'll be, we'll be getting back into that in the new year. Let me pray. God, thank you. We come with gratitude because you are good. And Jesus, today as we reflect intentionally on you, as we take our mind out of our busyness and we take our mind off of our to-do lists and off of trying to sort out the last-minute menu details for our Christmas dinners that are coming up, we set our eyes on you, and we intentionally remember. We intentionally make you part of our Christmas celebration in a way that is distinct from the way this world is doing it. And so, Jesus, as we reflect on your story, as we look at Christmas, and we understand what it is in, in Canada and how it's developed and, and what you intend, God, I pray that our story, that your story would be the strongest story in our hearts and in our minds, that your story would be the story that would be easiest to communicate from us, because we just internalize it so much. We know this is who you are. And so, God, I pray for a rich celebration with a great story this Christmas for families. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are, we are so full of families and gifts. I was watching TV. I've watched more TV in 2019 than I have watched in my entire life put together. No kidding. Um, Christmas last year, my, my family, we bought a TV and, uh, and then we also found that we have the internet, and I was like, oh my goodness, it's the first time ever in my life that I have had owned a TV that's hooked up to anything that really shows TV. And so I've been watching a lot of TV, and there was a keg commercial, and the keg commercial is like this. Um, the saying, your presence is the best present, is extremely true, or something like that. You know, this holiday season, make your, your presence the best present that you can give. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's, that's cool and really pithy and also kind of 
a little empty. You know, like, my presence is, is valuable, but if that's, is that it? Is that all we're celebrating? And, and, I, and I've been looking at culture this year, and culture this year, I've really been, been taking a, a look as, as wide scale as I can, watching TV, I'm on the internet, I'm walking around Bradford and Newmarket, watching suburban Canadians, and this is what Christmas is. Christmas is about family and good memories and gift-giving and, and just a, a good sense of wholeheartedness. That's what we're going for. That's what our culture is going for. And so, you know, one thing that I just want to introduce with is, is family and gifts are great, but they don't compare to the hope of eternal life, to the hope that we have in Jesus. They don't even compare at all. It's like totally different leagues, totally different class. They're not even close. And so today, we're going to take a look at, uh, at hope building in the face of what's becoming a hollow practice, and that's Christmas. So we're going to start off with a very, very famous verse. We're going to hit another verse halfway through, but we're going to start with, for God so loved the world. John 3.16 most famous verse in all of the Bible. It's, it's extremely important because it really does centralize a lot of God's gift to us. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The core of the hope of Christmas and we know this, but we're intentionally focusing on it. The core of the hope of Christmas is found in the Christ child. He's the light that overcomes the darkness of winters. He's God condescending to be human forever and restoring original purpose to us. This is what Jesus did. We just finished our Old Testament class. Uh, we were going through a book called The Epic of Eden, and we went all the way through the Old Testament uh, narratives. What is going on and, and how it's created and why it matters and how it's layered. Because the entire Bible is layered. And we discovered that God's whole promise is that he has, uh, it's the people of God in the place of God experiencing the presence of God. That this is being God's idea from the start. A people in a place, experiencing God's presence. And so God has been, he's been doing this, and we, he is restoring us to the original position which we were created for. He is restoring us to be people who worship him and who take care of creation. We are the people who are supposed to be the stewards of the entire earth. That is what God's people are created for. And so God is, he is condescending to be human forever to restore us to our original purpose. That's just a brief overview of the Christian story, but when I compare it to our world story, when I compare it to our culture's story, what I am discovering is that the culture's story is a shadow of what we have. It's like a it's like a quiet, almost a wraith-like being of what we have 
in true story, they have a very shadow idea of. And so their story becomes weak and trite. And I know in a pluralistic culture, it's really hard to be like, well, you're wrong, we're right. But in this case, this is the story that Christians hold. This is a story that Christians hold. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is a stronger story. And today we're going into the strength of the story. We're going into how this story comes together for us and why it matters so much and why it looks like what it looks like. And hopefully by the end of it, we are going to be so confident in the story of God that we can stand with full assurance, not to be self-righteous, but to stand with assurance and enrich the people with a better story. Our world needs a better story. And I'm seeing all kinds of, all kinds of evidences of this. Our culture has tossed aside ancient myths and history stories so fast. We, my, my history professor, uh, Dr. Ronald Kidd, um, great man, just retired, and uh, he, he started off history of Christianity with this statement. We hate cult. We hate history. That was his start of history of Christianity. He's like, we hate history. Everything in this world is set up in our culture to despise the old stories, to despise our origins, to say we are our own people. And you know what? I'm really coming to be convinced that, that we have this sense of like so much pressure on the individual to create a story of meaning. You create your own story of meaning. And it creates ridiculous pressure. Instead of us fitting into a larger narrative, everybody, you have to come up with your own story. And then you have to put your story out there to see if people like it. If they don't like it, they don't like you. And, well, that sucks. And so, for lack of a large cultural story, we now are all individuals and we have to create our own story. And what we're creating is a huge pressure cooker for every individual to say, I need to find a place where I fit in the story. I need a story that's significant enough. And so this is what our culture's done. And so what we need is we need backstories and tradition and hope that comes from something that has a greater foundation than just, you know what, I'm going to create a story for myself that I'm going to be wealthy and I'm going to be successful or I'm going to go do this and I'm going to be defined by that career. And so, so what we need is we need a larger story than just my experience. What we've done in our world, in our abandoning our traditions and abandoning our stories, is we've created a Christmas that's pretty hollow. And the people feel it. I've, I've been around a lot of adults talking about Christmas this season and, and we get that feeling of there should be something more. And it's not just a Christian thing. It's a culture thing. It's like, okay, we do this. And the average Canadian spends $1,200 on Christmas gifts this season. That's what Moneris is projecting. $1,200 for, for each Canadian. And we're going like, why? Is there more? What's more? What, what matters here? So... Stories 
Practices without the stories that develop them become hollow. So today we're going to get into a little bit of our story that developed Christmas. We're going to start with an accusation. Here's the common accusation in our culture. I want to see a show of hands if you have heard it. The common accusation in our culture is an accusation of cultural appropriation. In other words, Christmas is celebrated as the birth of Jesus because of winter solstice. Has anybody heard that before? Come on, give me a show of hands. I just need to know how much. Okay, good. So, so Christmas is celebrated because the pagans celebrated winter solstice and the Christians just appropriated it and said, okay, we are, we're just stealing this and we're going to make it Christian. And that's the accusation that exists in culture today. So I did some research. And I'm like, really? How true is this? What parts of it are true? And what do we learn from it? So I hope I don't bore you today, considering that my professor told me that we hate history. I need to go into this because I'm going to make a comparison as to what happened and why there's some huge validity in it. So this is the accusation that because the pagans um, had this pre-existing, pre-existing celebration, we took it and we said, oh, well, it's not about the winter solstice, it's about Jesus. And then magically Christmas happens and we completely stole it and that is the story that's out there significantly. And what people do with it is they try to invalidate Christmas because of it. They say, oh, well, see, it's not really anything. It doesn't really matter. Uh, another common line this year that I'm hearing a lot, it's an old line, but it's one I'm hearing a lot this year, is uh, well, Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th. You know that, right? Well, there's a 1 in 365 chance that he was born on December 25th. Okay? That's, that's what we've got. Um, some theologians will get into really deep discussions about that. Not the point of what I'm doing in here. What I'm going to suggest is that as I've been looking at it, there is a clear parallel in between the old pagan story and the story of Jesus. There is a clear parallel. Now, if we, go, if, if we take a look at this, God has been revealing himself to humanity, and people have been trying to figure out figure out the divine. They've just been going at it, trying to figure it out. People aren't as stupid as our culture tends to think that we are, but they've been trying to figure it out. And so they've been figuring out things, and they've been piecing together ideas. And that's been, that's been the mission that humanity's been on for a long time. It was a very religious species. We've always been very religious. If you look at every single culture, it has two common things. Religion and music. Everything else is variable. Religion and music. Human culture has both of them. So there's a clear parallel between what's happened. So let's talk about what, what the pagans were doing. The pagans were foreshadowing, this is what I believe, the pagans are foreshadowing in obscurity the work of God. They're foreshadowing in obscurity the work of God. Um, Paul alludes to this in Acts 17 in a very famous sermon called uh, Mars Hill. And he gets up there and he goes, okay, so you've got all these gods and then there's a god, there's, a, there, there's an idol to the unknown god. I'm here to tell you that you're talking 
in obscurity about the God that I'm going to tell you about. I believe that the pagans were, were foreshadowing in obscurity the actual work of God. Now, when they heard about the story of Christ, they were able to connect the dots, and they accepted it. This is what happened. There are two now empty traditions in our Canadian traditional Christmas celebration that help us see this point. The first one is the lights on the darkest night, and the second one is a Christmas tree. Both of them were pagan practices. So let's talk about the lights in the darkest night. Um, in the story of Jesus' birth, we need to recognize that Christians didn't formally, in, in terms of they didn't set up officially from the Pope a celebration of Christmas until the 4th century. Now, there's a really good theological reason why they did not set up a celebration of Christmas until the 4th century. It's really based in this fact. They were trying to understand the Trinity. There was a huge movement trying to understand how do you have God in three people? How do you actually say God is the creator, the Son incarnate, and the Holy Spirit without putting a hierarchy in place. Without saying one is subject to the other. And they took a long time, a lot of prayer, a lot of study, and they said this is how we say it. It's a mystery. Anything more we say adds to heresy. And so we just go, okay, it's a mystery. But they took a long time to say, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And, and they come up with the Apostles' Creed, which gives us the Trinity. So we have the theology of the Trinity. From the theology of the Trinity, we're able to say that Jesus is truly human. Which means if he's truly human, he is the most significant human that has ever existed. Anybody agree with that? Jesus is the most significant human that has ever existed. If that's the case, his birthday is probably important. And so then they were like, because we got to this, now we can get to Christmas Day. Now we can say Christmas. Now we can celebrate a God-man incarnate. And so they, they brought this out. And so they, they said, okay, so we need a date. We need a date to celebrate. Well, guess what? The church was already celebrating. The Annunciation. The church early on, around the 2nd century, started, started celebrating the Annunciation. Annunciation is celebrated on March 25th. Now, that's a really, really important date because this is the day that the angels come to Mary and say, you are with child. Well, if a human is with child for nine months... And the Annunciation happens on March 25th. Your due date is December 25th. Now you have a date for Christmas fully functional inside the church. So the first thing we need to do is we need to say, well, you know, your cultural appropriation argument is a little bit weak. It's a little bit weak because the church determined a date based on the theology of the Trinity. Now... You're then going to take that 
And you're going to also recognize that winter solstice, which is the, which is the, the traditional holiday of, of the northern, uh, northeastern Europeans, is a holiday that's celebrated on December 21st. So if we're talking about complete cultural appropriation, then we got it on the wrong date. So those are two points that I really just wanted to put out very, very quickly about this. But it is important that we want to look at the darkest night and what are the pagans celebrating? What is the reason for their season? Let me tell you the pagan story. Here we are in church. We're going to talk about Odin, the All-Father. How about that, right? You ever been to a church that talks about Odin? That's fun. Okay, we're going to talk about Odin for a minute, and then we're going to talk about John 1. So we're going to talk about Odin, the All-Father, and what is believed about Odin in the northeastern European countries is that Odin is the one who controls the, controls the weather, controls the seasons, controls everything. And so he puts everything into order and makes it all flourish, and he is the one who makes sure that the plants come and, and give their harvest and everything is good. This is Odin. We know him from the Avengers. It's good, right? Awesome. Odin's much older than the Avengers and way cooler. Um, so every year, the darkness would creep in and try to defeat Odin. Every year, the darkness would encroach and, and the world would start to decay and the world would become darker until the 21st of December when Odin would tip the battle in his favor and the days would become longer. This is worth celebration because the God has won victory over the darkness of winter. The gods won a victory over the darkness of winter. Okay, this is great because what we see is this is a firm cultural belief. This is their story every year. We have a calendar battle that's happening. Victory over darkness. Victory over darkness. Calendar battle. Let's bring it together. Today, the darkest night that humanity faces is not last night. We have electricity. The darkest night that we face is a lot more cosmic than that. The darkest night our culture faces is a, is a loss of sense of purpose, a loss of sense of cultural identity, and who we are. Toronto Star headline today, just another person shot. It's actually the headline of the Toronto Star this morning. Just another person shot. Like it's meaningless. Now, it's obviously satire. They obviously say it is. It does have meaning, but this is kind of where we're getting to. Desensitized. Who are we? What's our story? Why does it matter? This is the darkest night that we face. The darkest night that we face is way darker than the sun not getting up on time. And trust me, I'm not a fan of the fact that the days got shorter. And as of yesterday, we're getting longer again. Apparently, Odin won again. Um, but but they're, they're getting longer. The days are getting longer, and so we're happy about that. We face the narratives that people are stupid, that we're viruses, that we're vile, that we're destroying our world. We face these narratives every day in our media. 
We face them in our conversations. I hate people. How many times in the past two years have you spoken to somebody who says, I hate people? It happens all the time. It's so common. I hate people. I hate people. This is a narrative of a loss of purpose that's going all the way through our culture, repeating again and again and again. It is our darkest night. Anyways, where's the light? What, what they did in the pagan story is they lit up stuff. They used fires. They used bonfires. They burned a Yule log. They, they used candles. They fought against the darkness with light. And they said this light is going to bring hope. This light is a symbol of hope. And they did that, and they were like, this is why we light stuff up at Christmas. So we carry this tradition of lighting our houses. We light our houses with with beautiful colored bulbs, and we put them all over the place, and we say, this is what we're doing. It's the light. It's the light. And so winter solstice was about the hope of light overcoming the darkness. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everybody, was coming into the world. Do you see it? Do you see it? The light that was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, to his own people, and they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in him, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but the will of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, his light that overcomes the darkness. Do you see what I mean when I say the pagan culture was foreshadowing in obscurity the truth of what God has been doing for centuries? They're saying God has overcome the light on the calendar year, and the message of Christianity says that God has overcome the darkness with Jesus on the cosmic level. On the whole universe level, the light overcomes the darkness, and it's done in the person of Jesus. So we now have a message that that we foreshadow with lights on our house, and we say, yay, this is wonderful, they're beautiful, but our culture doesn't know that these lights represent the light that's overcome the darkness. They represent the truth of all human stories, which is we were hopeless without God until God came and made a difference. We were hopeless. Our second one that we go through is the Christmas tree. Now, the Christmas tree, I did a lot of questioning for people, and they really got embarrassed with this one. Because I was like, I'm trying to figure out why we have a Christmas tree. Why on earth do we have a Christmas tree? Culture and history is kind of a little obscure on this one, but there's some cool things in it. But 
I started asking people in our culture to see, okay, so why do we have a Christmas tree? The only real answer that I got, and I actually had to put it into people, and they, can, and they were like, oh, yeah, I guess that's it. The Christmas tree exists for one reason in our culture. It's our placeholder for presents. If we don't have a Christmas tree, then we have to make up something else for our presents. So Christmas trees are kind of irrelevant, kind of like, okay, we, what is the real reason? So I did a little bit of research. What's going on with the Christmas tree? Oh, it's, well, it's a cultural appropriation from the pagan holiday. Well, yeah, I heard that line with the light, and I found out that there's way more going on, so I bet you there's more going on here. Well, guess what? There is. So the pagans, they, they would say, okay, well, in this darkest night, the world is experiencing death and decay, Everything on the calendar year is dying. The trees are dying. The plants are dying. Everything's dying. And then there's this gorgeous tree that's resisting the decay. An evergreen tree is resisting decay. It doesn't decay. So they would cut down, um, they would cut down boughs from the evergreen tree, and they would drag them into their house to remind them that the life will return. The resurrection on the calendar level will return every year. There will be resurrection and things will be restored. We see that that, that resurrection piece, that life is coming back, we see it in the hope of the Christmas tree. That the tree represents this life. My Christmas tree stopped drinking water yesterday. I don't know what that means. It's probably going to blow up. Anyways, um, not important. So the tree represents life. It represents that, that God is still active, and in the death and in the decay, there is hope for the future. Well, in the Christian story, we have an idea that life will come back again, that there's hope for today. In the Christian story, Jesus is the life that is returned to humanity that was dying. Jesus, God, man, with us, incarnated with us, is life. And in that life, there's a restoration for all humanity. And so what the pagans practiced in obscurity was the idea that they wanted to remind themselves that life was coming back into the darkness, that life is going to be there. And so they dragged in these trees and these parts of trees and they decorated them with lights. And Martin Luther saw this and he was like, we could use that. So he was, this guy's crazy. Martin Luther was crazy. Do your research. He was nuts, but he did a lot. So he dragged in a full pine tree into his house, and he lit it with candles, which is just psycho. Like, hello. (laughs) Fire marshal's called in. You're just like, anyways. So this is what he did. He lights it with candles because the light is the hope of the world. The trees are brought in representing light. And so these two items, I'm not saying that these are now Christian symbols, What I'm saying is that these two items were used in a larger cultural story that said, can you see what God is doing? Can you see your place in it all? Can you see that you matter as a person who is born of God? And the world saw it. And they embraced it. Guys, here's the message on Christmas for us. 
The pagans celebrated it foreshadowing in obscurity, in the calendar, what Jesus fulfilled eternally. And that's why it marks us different. For us, the message is, our story is stronger. Our story is more hopeful. Our story is not a dead end that says, then what? Our story doesn't beg the question, why does any of this matter? And our culture's story is hurting for a better narrative. We need a better narrative in our culture, in our world. And when we hear the narratives repeated again and again and again in our social circles that are outside of the church, oh, Christmas is just appropriated. Oh, humans are stupid. People are stupid. When we hear these hopeless stories, I want to encourage us this Christmas that we tell a corrective story. That we actually say our story is better, not because we're arrogant, but because we need a better story in our world. We need a story that actually matters. And so if you, are, if you use your Christmas tree the way it was intended, it's a story that points to resurrection. If you use your Christmas lights the way they were intended... It's a story that points to Jesus being the light of the world that overcomes the darkness. And when we could start to link these every year occurrences with our neighbors and say, you know there's something more going on here, don't you? You know there's a little bit more going on. Then maybe, just maybe, a real story comes out again instead of a hollow spending and an empty tradition. My challenge this Christmas has been what makes Christmas Christian? What makes it a Christian celebration? And it's the memory and the recitation of our story. It's the story that says God is doing something. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Today, if this is your first time that you've ever heard about Jesus being the light of the world, being the hope that's fulfilled in every cultural hope, if this is the first time you've ever heard this and you say, you know what, I want to get behind that story, then you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity because the hope of the world, the life of the world, the story of the world is found in Jesus. And what you do is you simply make a choice to say, I am going to know this story and I'm going to participate in this story because God is good. John 3.16 said, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, whoever says, yeah, I, I get that story, will not perish, but will have everlasting life.